time stuff that I wish I had. The big time stuff that'll make you mad. The big time stuff. I like the big time stuff. I like the big time stuff. Hey, 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 how are you? Basically. Yeah, when I heard you were going to be on Zoom, I had to run in and put on a nice shirt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Neil had to get dressed. Right? Yeah, I, I normally work naked, Rick. So <laughs> <laughs> you're taking the Hugh Hefner route, huh? No, I think, no, yeah, but yeah, I went with yeah. it. No, <laughs> uh, only in your clothes. I'm on Zoom a little too often. Are you for that? Oh, yeah. Are we using Zoom today, Neil? We had an issue last time. I never want to have an issue with the recording with Rick. <laughs> we I didn't upload. You. Now there's no issue. There's only one one audio. So it should be just fine. Great. And, and, and it's you nice got, to see you anyway. You, you can yeah, hear me loud and clear? Really well. Great. So um, it's nice to see you, though. It really is. Like, um, yeah, it's, it's been a fun. while. We should get together. I, I look forward to it. I will. You know what I... Um, I'm, uh, I'll catch up with you. I appreciate the intros you made, made last time and those are making, I'm making headway with those. So good. I, um, uh, we walk our dogs once a week at Mercer Island. And so we'll stop at the town and country store on the way back. So I, I, I will ping you. Uh, we'll get together next weekend or something, whatever's good for you. All right. That sounds great. Christopher, can you still hear? I hear you just fine. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you. Yeah, well. perfect. Hey, I feel honored. I'm the 50th episode. <laughs> You're the 50th episode. <laughs> well, <laughs> I was joking with Rick that he was well. the, it's the lost episode, right? The we lost to, episode. <laughs> yeah, we have to have a... The, the lost files, the lost page. That's right, right. We have to get uh, Geraldo Rivera to open a vault. <laughs> 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 we approached the discovery of what was lost. Well, it was I interesting. I, I, took actually watched, I actually watched that when he did it, and it, what a big, big nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Al Capone's vaults were empty? <laughs> Talk about all, all hype and no, no follow-up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, Rick, I actually, you know, the, for all of our listeners today and, and viewers, I guess we'll put this up on YouTube, I took four pages of notes on the podcast that's lost that we didn't get a chance to, to talk through. I'm just going to do an introduction of you anyway for the folks who, who don't know you or who didn't read the bio before they decided to listen. Um, Rick Sassari has been in marketing since phone books and had lots of success since phone books. <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, he's brought us, uh, he, he's worked, he works on products from one to three million sales, uh, helping them take plenty to over a billion in sales, stuff we've used, like the Rug Doctor or the George Foreman Grill or Sonic Care or... Oh, the GoPro, or the list goes on, right? It, it's all stuff we're familiar with in this world. And, um, you know, every time I talk to Rick, I learn a little bit more about marketing, and I so appreciated him. And it's the most notes I've taken on any podcast we've ever had when we had this lost episode where we missed something somewhere. <laughs> and uh, we had so much fun, and I, I know Chris and I are both looking forward to it to the last eight weeks as we're trying to make this one happen again. And it's just, we're lucky to have Rick joining us today uh, as episode number 50. That's yeah, great. Welcome, yeah, thanks for the, for the great introduction, Neil and Chris. <laughs> Glad to be back here and, uh, and 
having an interview with you guys. I had a lot of fun last time, even if we did lose the files. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we did too. We did too. I think that's a big part of our goal, just to actually learn and have fun at the same time on the podcast, right? Like that's the best way I think to become a better human when those mm -hmm. two things are happening. Yep. Yeah. Otherwise it's boring. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> Rick, right. so I kind of feel like I must have missed lots of things in your resume and you know, I, maybe you don't want to talk about your resume so much, but <laughs> you've done a bunch of cool stuff. <laughs> what, what, uh, um, you know, and, and, and just for Chris's edification and laughter again, I, I want to remind you how I met Rick. I met Rick um, as he was sh helping natural stacks shoot some vitamin commercials and I was asked to be an endorser. So I was on a bunch of, <laughs> yeah, when I, when I, told I, interviewed, I interviewed Neil as, a, as an authentic <laughs> testimonial of an authentic product user for natural stacks. Ah. But we, we hit good. it off and we connected and, and started a great relationship. So mm -hmm. I, it would be hard not to enjoy Rick. And, and for full disclosure, for the folks listening, uh, Rick is an advisor to Zoic Capital for um, a bunch of not so obvious things that come out of the medical device space. So wow. <laughs> he's good at understanding how to market just about anything. And he's got a, uh, an undergrad actually in biology. So it's a good fit. He, he actually yeah. gets to use some of the knowledge he acquired um, during the phone book era as mm -hmm. I'll tell it. Mm -hmm. It is. And I have been, I have been doing it as long as that. I actually started doing marketing or direct to consumer marketing um, before there was an internet. And um, <laughs> you know, it's been fun to see how, I mean, you don't even think that that, that is a, a possibility, but it wasn't even that long ago. And, um, you know, but, you know, it's interesting over the years, um, a lot of obviously marketing platforms have changed. But I always uh, talk about this on the interviews and in podcasts and in my books and things, uh, that human psychology over that time hasn't changed very much. And if you understand what gets people to react, uh, you can still use some of those same things. And, you know, the technology, the delivery platform, you know, there is, is just is the thing that's different and how to use those different, I guess, hot buttons or response things that work um, just with the new technology. So it's been fun um, uh, keeping up with all the different new ways to market to people. I really enjoy it. I look at it as, as a challenge. So it's a lot of fun. Rick, yeah. I'm, can I ask the first question pretty please, Chris? Yes, go <laughs> I can see you about to yeah, talk. So many, yeah, so many things for Rick in that brain of his. <laughs> Rick, 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 can you tell us about one of your most fun uh, projects that you've got a chance to work and so I'm not saying it's the most fun or you're rating it better than the others but can you tell us about one of the most fun projects you had a chance to work on that we've all heard of yeah it, it was um, I one of the most fun projects ever worked on was one a lot of the products you mentioned earlier I didn't own them I marketed them for other companies but one of my very first big successes the juice man juicer and the bread man bread machine and this goes back again, pre-internet days, 1989, 1990, 91. But we really built a very successful company. It was based here in Seattle. We grew from zero to 75 million in sales in a little under four years. Uh, we had uh, up as many as 160 employees. That part wasn't so fun, but um, managing <laughs> all the people. Uh, but it was really an exciting time because we were passionate about what we were doing. We were, we were teaching the public 
how to consume more fruits and vegetables and grains and legumes. And we had a really high profile scientific advisory board and I was very passionate about it. So that was one of the more fun um, projects that I was involved in and, and also one of the more successful ones. And, at the, and in 1993, we sold that company to Sultan Housewares. Um, and so it was, it was fun and a successful business story at the same time. Mm -hmm. That established a tremendous success for you in just the, the sort of groundbreaking because everyone remembers the character of the original Juice Man. Oh yeah, Jay, Jay Cordage, the Juice yeah. Man. But you're you know, absolutely right, Chris. Um, we, I was doing that marketing. I had done other marketing before then for you know, promoting a bunch of various products and seminars. And I combined everything I had learned up to that point to make that business successful. And that was high profile enough that when we sold the business in 93, my plan was to just take some time off. And I, and I did take about six months off. But then I had people starting to reach out to me that said, hey, we want you to help us market the way you did with the Juice Man. And one of the very first companies that reached out to me was Optiva Corporation based in Seattle. They're the makers of the Sonicare toothbrush. Um, and so I kind of got into the agency business accidentally just because of people wanting to, um, for me to help them market the way we had marketed successfully with the Juice Man. And it's interesting. Um, one of the things we did with the Juice Man would be considered what we hear a lot about today, content marketing. We had our own newsletter. We had mm -hmm. a scientific advisory board. We had a very large customer service staff to answer questions. In addition to selling juicers, we sold lots and lots of books on um, natural health and juicing and things like that. So we were very much into content marketing before it became a thing to do. <laughs> before it became a category. <laughs> yeah. But also, again, you found these iconic, even the, the characters from George Foreman to, you know, Billy Mays and uh, just really fantastic the way you constructed the, the marketing uh, approach. And uh, was that something that just came out organically or after your success with the Juice Man, did you kind of see that as a, a, formulate, a formulaic approach you could use? Yeah, I, I actually I did. And it, it, you know, I really enjoy and I've had success without a recognizable spokesperson on, on a project, but mm -hmm. I've always found that if we could get the right spokesperson that fit with a product, um, you, you, it opens up the marketing a little bit more. You have um, somebody that you can promote through PR or a spokesperson and people respond to that. And so I've always, like you said, working with Billy Mays and with Jay Cordage and with George Foreman, um, you know, there've been some other ones. Uh, it, it really opens up the amount of marketing you, you can do um, by getting them as a spokesperson in, in, in different places. So I've enjoyed doing that. I always look for a spokesperson when I'm working with a product or project. Not You can't find one every time, but when you do, <laughs> it, it, I think it's an advantage. Do you do that even on the golf products that you, you uh, help and work on? What's that? Do you do that even on the golf products that you help work on? I know you, you take yeah. on a lot of different golf products as well. Yeah, yes. And, you know, we look, um, you know, my, my preference is somebody who actually 
uses the product, is passionate about it because that comes across, that authenticity. But um, uh, if, if sometimes you have to say, okay, we have this putting trainer, who, who's a good putter? You know, who's the putting coach for Jordan Spieth? So we will hire that guy to be the spokesperson because if he can teach Jordan's pizza to putt well, then he can teach the rest of us. So we look for kind of connections like that that, that, that make sense um, when we're trying to find a, a good spokesperson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It seems like a lot of the products uh, with which you've had great success to Rick have, um, uh, are promoted because they are more healthful, right? There's this kind of wonderful... Uh, approach even with rug doctor and things like that that you yeah, you, you know it's funny you say that um and i think that goes back to my roots in biology and then even um after graduating from college i just had a personal interest in natural health and i during the time of the juice man i actually um met up with the founder of bastier university joe prezorno his wife worked for us and uh, I was on the board of advisors for Bastier, and I've always had a personal interest in in health and natural health. And so I've I've always looked, um, you know, if there was a way for the product to fit in or deliver a health message, I've always looked for that. And if you t- think about, you mentioned Rug Doctor, you know, people don't know this, but your carpets are the largest um, filter in your house everything falls from the air down onto your carpets and 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 you don't keep them clean it it actually can become you know unhealthy inside the house so we took a health angle with that sonicare we basically um marketed that by talking about how the sonic technology could help uh reverse gum disease and then we showed the science behind it and we had to do that education. I'm also a big believer in selling through education, you know, educating the consumer about what the product does and what the benefit is to them. Uh, you know, so even the George Foreman grill knocks out the fat and, uh, you know, you can eat the food you like, it's a healthier diet. So I've, I've, I've definitely, to answer your question, Chris, you know, taken the health angle on quite a few bones, but, but, but it, always is, is, is honest and backed up by science, even though it might not seem like it. We, you know, you can't make a health claim if you don't have the, um, you know, the, the, the scientific backup for it. So we've always been very careful from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Well, I, you know, you obviously must get a million questions. I, I wonder if you get like a thousand email a day or something crazy for requests and questions. I'm curious, what are the, like the, the biggest things that, you know, small business owners should start to think about as they're building their marketing plan that you would think Mm -hmm. about? An an example might be um, if a small business owner might be somebody who just owns a duplex or a triplex or somebody who owns a local, you know, commissary or any number of like, you know, small businesses, you know, is, is it the same advice you know, first, we'd love that advice. And then second, is it the same advice you would give to somebody in the financial services business or somebody in medical devices? You know, I, I'm kind of curious, you know, you say human um, psychology is similar. I'm just kind of curious about how it all fits together because you seem to understand the formula no matter what it is. Yeah, so I, if, 
uh, let me see if I understand your question correctly. Um, you know, <laughs> it's a no, seven-part question. <laughs> no, it is, it is. But, um, you know, what, what kind of advice can we give to pretty much any business that's going to help them regardless of the size? And, you know, I like to um, envision, and even this goes for, you know, an online business, which uh, most are today. But let's just say you're opening up a brand new retail storefront, whether it's financial services or you're a professional, uh, you know, you're a home repair. How, how do people hear about you? And so to me, that's what marketing is all about, is um, getting your message out in front of people. And so every, there's lots of different ways of doing it. There's companies that are well-funded and they have a good marketing budget. Well, then that announces, uh, you know, allows us to use, uh, you know, paid media and PR and things like that. But I've always found, um, you know, some of the projects I've, I've worked with were startups that didn't have much money and, you know, figuring out ways to um, do, you know, quote unquote, guerrilla type marketing um, to get the message out there. And I think that um, for entrepreneurs, um, that are making a business plan, they should think long and hard about the question you just asked, Neil, which is how can I make people aware? How can I get people to my store so I can show them my products are better, my customer service is better? And, you know, you need to do those things to be a successful business, but you have to let the public know about it. So, you know, today's great um, because we have social media, which is something you can do without a lot of money if you know how to do it correctly and 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 get and so you can get a lot of um organic response without spending very much money i i and you know but i go back to all the big successes and the different case studies i talk about in my book building billion dollar brands every one of those became successful though because we were able to implement some type of paid media um where we were generating, if we put a dollar of advertising in, we were able to generate $2 of revenue back. And that doesn't, you know, back when, and that means, you know, you talked about doing this during the phone book era. I did that with real estate seminars when we were using newspaper ads, but I'm also doing it today with Facebook. And so that's why I'm saying the, if you understand the marketing concepts and the paid advertising and the direct response principles, um, really you you have a lot more options today from a marketing standpoint does that work in every field in your mind i believe it does um because every it's it's maybe it's a little bit easier you know i've had most of my successes in actually uh consumer products but i've worked with service companies i've worked with financial companies and every everything there's a way to market anything successfully, some are just more challenging than others. And I don't have a hundred percent success rate either. <laughs> I, learned, I was going to ask. Failures, like, uh, yeah. uh, it's important to remember that. Are you, are you batting better than 500 though? I would, uh, I would say so. But, you know, part of that is, um, because you learn to choose wisely um, which project <laughs> you take on. Because if you just said, here's a thousand products to market, I would be way below 500. But if I could say, well, let me pick and choose which you know, dozen products out of that thousand I want to market, then, then, the, then the batting average goes up. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, Rick, what was, uh, you know, the, the bright shining sun of your uh, successes does hide some of those shadows. Where was uh, an event or a, a product that you kind of fell flat on? You know, it's really funny. It was actually um, during the same time we were doing the Juice Man, and we were using a lot of uh, direct response television marketing. And I had had a, a lot of success up to that point where to, where you get to the point where you, your ego starts to grow a little bit and you say, oh, I'm batting a thousand. I'm, I can, you know, anything I touch can be, you know, be successful. And we introduced a product called the Breadman Bread Machine. <laughs> and and it was designed again for healthy eating. We, we, we sold whole grain bread mixes with it and it was a companion product to the juicer. And we spent a, a couple hundred thousand dollars on advertising and we could never get it to work to the level that we wanted it to. And it wasn't, it turned out it wasn't because of the messaging. And this is where I learned a valuable lesson. We basically, um, you need to build a, a financial pro forma, at least I do before I work with a, with a product to see how the numbers are going to work. And then that shows you how much you can, you know, spend on marketing and still make a profit. Well, the, the difference was the juice machines we were marking had a four to one markup from our manufacturing cost to the retail cost. The bread machine had about a two time markup and, and basically there wasn't enough margin there to to do the type of marketing we were doing but i didn't really realize that until i went back afterwards and analyzed it and said hey um that's another aspect of marketing that in addition to messaging and the creativity and the different um uh channels you're marketing through you need to really look at things from a financial perspective to make sure the numbers work before you introduce a product. You know, I'll give you a great example everyone knows about. Why is Starbucks coffee so successful? Do you know how much margin is in? Oh yeah, it's massive. And, it's gotta be and, massive. Yeah, and I mean, they've done great marketing and, and branding and everything else, but that business would not be as successful as it is if, um, if there wasn't so much margin in every product that they sold. And you look at any of the big successes we had, you know, Sonicare, um, was a five-time markup. Um, mm -hmm. OxyClean was probably a two to, two to three-time markup, but it's a consumable product. Mm -hmm. So once you make that first sale, there's a lifetime value. Supplements, we were talking about supplements earlier. If mm -hmm. you can get, um, you know, you don't have to make money on the initial customer acquisition if you know they're going to stay on the supplement. And so you're building these financial models and you know exactly then how much you can spend on marketing and how much it, you know, it takes to, to, to get a customer. So all of these things are, you know, learned kind of, I didn't learn them in school. I learned them the hard way by making mistakes, but it, they've been really valuable lessons. And I, I feel like I can bring that to the table with most clients nowadays. Mm -hmm. Is that true? I, you, I know you work with, um, you've got a business in consulting for Amazon sellers, right? Well, I work with some Amazon sellers, is a, uh, and that, that really stems from some of the speaking I did, and, and I spoke it at, at an Amazon conference for, uh, called The Prosper Show, and I probably got about a half a dozen um, large Amazon sellers and learned, I didn't at the, I have to be honest with you at the time, uh, they were looking for someone who knew a little bit about branding, and I was, I was happy to do it because I didn't know anything about Amazon. And there's a great example of 
at least with consumer products. Um, I, you know, five years ago, I wouldn't talk much about Amazon. Now I feel like Amazon is so dominant and uh, so much a part of the way people order, especially with what's going on now with COVID and everything else, that you need to launch your product on Amazon as well as your own website. And, and you know, there's people that Amazon is a interesting platform and there's people that know how to market on it uh, better than others. And so that's something I don't have that skill set, but I know people that do have the skill set to do it very well. They've been doing it a long time. Do you look for those same margins? Because it seems like the stuff I'm buying from Amazon must be just razor thin. In yeah, and and margin, see, that's the right? difference. Um, and, 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 I, and it's actually, I, it reinforces my lesson because I've had um, uh, several people that had successful Amazon businesses come to me and try to build an off Amazon business, but they can be successful on Amazon uh, with smaller margins because Amazon does all the marketing for them. You know, they just have to either one, be the lowest cost product or be differentiate their product, uh, you know, apart from the competition. And, you know, based on the Amazon fees, you know, they're doing the marketing for you. So you can um, market products on Amazon that you necessarily couldn't do off of Amazon. Mm. I hope that made sense. Yeah, Chris, you can go into the t-shirt business like you were thinking. We just learned. <laughs> the t-shirt, there's been some big successful t-shirt companies. Neil, only if I can have you as a pitchman, Neil, when you put down. <laughs> you have to wear it on all your interviews and all your. Done, uh, done. Right. I was trying to think of something that's the opposite of a business you do today, Chris. That was how I killed t-shirts. Yeah, no, I know, yeah. I know. You know, there's, there's a lot to, you know, the marketing. We're talking about the surface level stuff, but, you know, um, you know, you talk about a financial services or a service business, and I, I always spend a lot of time also then looking at, you know, what's, what's the unique selling proposition? What differentiates a one financial service business from the next? And, you know, you need to kind of find that because otherwise it, it's really hard to develop a marketing message if you're exactly like your competition. And so we always try to develop some type of um, unique attribute or differentiator um, whenever we're working with a, with a company or a service. Sometimes it's a new product and you don't, you know, a new product and a, uh, that's just better and, and you just have to call out those benefits to people. Mm -hmm. It's interesting. I'm starting to take notes again. <laughs> you don't have to take notes, Neil. You can just call me and... <laughs> Both will work better. Starbucks. We can meet for coffee and, and, and ask me all the questions you want. No, um, I actually did customer discovery calls kind of as a result of our conversations, right? Like I, um, Yeah, and that, that's great feedback. And, uh, you know, as far as talking to your customers and hearing what they have to say and what they like about you, what they don't like about you, and that honest feedback is a great way to improve any product or service that you're doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, right, Chris? In your business, you probably don't think about calling up your clients and saying, what do you love about me? <laughs> well, we've, yeah, we've done several things from having a sort of client board of directors um, to get feedback. And oh, that interesting. has a rotating membership. Um, 
we've done some uh, surveys, but those generally are, uh, I, I think about the choice architecture a lot and mm -hmm. I haven't been satisfied with those. I think the open forum is much better where people can really share um, mm -hmm. how they feel about the work we do. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, Rick, any of the um, ideas you have uh, in reaching out to audiences fail to translate in your imagination? You talked about new products. What's one that you felt, even with the markup, let's say, had a great potential runway and had the health benefits, but it seems like you couldn't land the punch. It couldn't connect to the intended. You really love Judge Foreman, don't you? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, I want to just say, that I just want to say, the yeah. fact that, that you picked George Foreman, what a great thing. I mean, yeah. I would never in a million years. Uh, <laughs> you know, and you know the funny part about that, Chris. I never have thought of him as a great pitchman, but my God, he turned out to be the best. Yeah, and, and the funny part about that is, and I'll get back to your other question in a minute, but, um, you know, if there was an other heavyweight boxer, they wouldn't have been a good spokesperson. It wasn't just because he was the, 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 the heavyweight champion of the world. It was his personality as well that that came through and um and when people saw how he was that they it, you know they just were attracted to him but you know the funny part was and i'll show you you know some people's mentality out there they they would they would over the years they've tried to pair up other boxers with with um, <laughs> with products and they just have been a miserable failures like and I don't you know Evander Holyfield or Mike Tyson or Sugar Sugar Ray uh, Leonard would uh, uh, was pitching a, a hot dog maker or whatever and it was so <laughs> obvious uh, so obvious blatant um, that it wasn't a good fit and it just really happened. That, that, you know, George's personality was just a good fit for the product because he really enjoyed eating hamburgers. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I've, I've had, um, uh, you, you know, lots and lots of, um, uh, let's if we use baseball analogy, you know, lots of strikeouts, lots of singles, lots of doubles um, type of thing. I always talk about you guys, you know, the home runs that you, everyone's heard about. Um, and sometimes, you know, it's, it's a combination of the marketing and the message. And then also just um, that there really isn't the, the market for something that you think there is uh, when you start marketing the product. And, um, I'm trying to think of some of the ones I always like, like banish the losers from my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, but even sometimes, Rick, you guys have worked with things that didn't seem successful at first. I can't remember. What was it? The lean mean grilling machine before it became the George Foreman. Grill? Oh yeah. But that, that was, a, that was more of just a re repositioning type of thing. It was, it was actually, uh, you know, the background on the George Foreman grill was that it was an existing product. It was called the fajita express. <laughs> and the reason it was designed that way, the slant was that you would set it on the edge of a table, cook hamburger meat in it, uh, scrape the meat into the, the taco shell, and, and that was supposed to make your cooking easier. And, uh, you know, obviously we took that same product and that's what turned into the George Foreman Grill. We just did a little repositioning. And the funny part is, you know, in my book, um, uh, Building Billion Dollar Brands, I talk about 
you know, five things for building your brand is, you know, what's your USP? What's your positioning? And, you know, that means like, where's your, your target audience or what's the, the, the niche or category that you want to be successful in. There's a good book I tell people to read all the time called the blue ocean strategy, um, which talks about, um, you know, that when you're going, you're a small business and this is applicable for any business. Um, where's the market that you're going after? And then that helps tailor your, your, your um, uh, marketing. And you should always look for where there's a market niche that doesn't have a lot of competitors in it or, or one that you can approach differently. And the best example of that one is the GoPro camera. I mean, yeah. here's a guy who invented yeah. a camera in his garage and he was up against Sony and Panasonic and Kodak. And, but his niche was action, for action or extreme athletes. And he developed a camera that you could wear on your wrist, take pictures of yourself while you're surfing because he was a surfer. And he dominated that niche and then just expanded from there. So mm -hmm. that's a, a really good example of a product fitting into a specific category. He wasn't trying to be a product. How does that, you know, I, the only bank, I, I'm trying to think of banks for whatever reason. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> the only bank, yeah, I have no idea, Chris. Yeah, just go ahead and give me the dirty look now. This is okay, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> um, Umqua Bank is really interesting because I feel like they've positioned themselves really much different than every other bank I've ever seen. And I, you know, I feel like they were carving niches out because, you know, they had independent music. And, you know, when the store closed, you could go uh, hold a party there, you know, an event of some sort for your club. You could do all sorts of different things in an Umqua bank that made them so, so community oriented. Yeah, I don't feel like bank of... They were differentiating themselves from the competition. In massive ways, right? And their, and their AUM grew substantially as a result of it. Yeah, sometimes you have to be creative about that. I mean, if you're in an industry, and again, you know, financial, insurance, you know, you're a doctor or whatever, how, how are you going to differentiate yourself? And so one of the things I like to do is like, you, you know, you, you look at what other doctors are doing or other banks are doing, and you say, what can I do different that, that's going to benefit the consumer? And, you know, it can be as simple um, you know, the, the story of Zappos shoes that basically the online shoe store, you know, shoes are a commodity. What, what the heck can they do different? Well, one, one thing they can do different is be the best customer service ever, you know, whenever you deal with them. And I know that that's, um, doesn't sound, you know, sexy or exciting, but I'll tell you what, that can be a real differentiator. I, in I tested to, it. I to, tested to it. Just treat people like, like treat people like people. And, 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 <laughs> Imagine and, that. and yeah, instead of a number or, or, or whatever, and people will respond to that. It's, it's, it's amazing sometimes that the simple solution that you can come up with. So what is, what should be, you know, this is really strange that I'm even asking on behalf of Bank of America, but <laughs> what should Bank of America be doing to differentiate themselves? Right? Like I'm, I'm sure, you know, when they're advertising, they're, they're segmenting to, you know, African-Americans or Native Americans or Asians or, you know, Caucasians. But I, I'm, I see that in some of their advertising, but what does a behemoth do to differentiate, you know, when they've got so many different products? It's, 
Yeah, that's a that's a. Do they do those behemoths call you, or I, are I they? Can't they... A, I can't give you a magic answer off the top of my head. <laughs> I'd have to look at look at it for for a little for a little while. But I, I I am just I just finished a really good book, and you guys might have read it already. Um, and actually, I stumbled upon it accidentally. You were talking about a golf earlier. I was out playing golf at at my club, and there was a foursome in front of us. And someone that was with me uh, said, well, where should I aim? And I said, well, aim for the guy in the blue shirt that's on the green. And I didn't know it at the time, but somebody else in my group said, why wouldn't aim at him? That's Alan Mulally. Um, and um, Alan is a guy who's credited with saving Boeing when they were going after 9-11. Oh, okay. Then he got hired by Ford Motor Company right. and he's credited with saving. And he, anyway, to make a long story short, um, there was a book about him called American Icon. And if you want to read a book that's applicable to big businesses and small businesses about how to run a business and differentiate yourself, um, where Ford didn't need to take any government bailouts during the recession, and he turned around that whole business by getting the um, management to work together as a we team instead of an I team, and uh, basically focus on new product development. It's really an amazing case study that would be applicable to any, any business on how to be successful and differentiate themselves. And, you know, reading about how the upper management of Ford was so screwed up before he came in, it was really amazing. Anyway, that was a loft on a long tangent. No, no, it's interesting, actually. It's, it's helpful. Mm -hmm. Some of it's about how you create the new product. So that was what you'd think about if you were. Oh yeah, and then by Bank of know, America. There's, there's little things. Let's say um, if I was Bank of America, I would find some happy customers, and I would make video testimonials. And you might think that's um, a little strange, but what did Chevrolet start doing? Like, um, right? These are these are genuine people or something. These are these are real. <laughs> Real testimonials. Well, what were they showing us prior to that? You know what I mean? but, but, but I think that's a simple solution that works for any business um, is to highlight your successes through third parties, through, 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 you know, I call them testimonials, but, you know, they're customers, they're authentic customers. And if you can highlight that and get them out there, um, there was just a, an announcement I read today that um, uh, Amazon is allowed that. Uh, is allowing anybody to use video on their listings where before you had to have your own brand page. And I think utilizing video in your marketing is really important. You know, I, I'm obviously, I talked a lot of, about some books and I love to read and I know you guys probably love to read, but a lot of people today don't read very much. They get their information through video. And so if you can um, present your messaging in the form that people are, are consuming it, you're, you're better off. And so you might have the most beautiful website with all this great information on it where, you know, a, maybe a one or two minute video at the very beginning is, is the secret to drawing somebody in. So I'm a big advocate of, of using video as well. Yeah. Neil, you ready to do your TikTok uh, promotion? Yeah, there you go. Well, here's something about TikTok. <laughs> I was just on a webinar and um, they were asking me, what about TikTok? Is that a good marketing platform? So I started to do some research. 40% of TikTok users are 14 years old or younger. And so <laughs> I don't think they have very much discretionary income. Well, that's 40%. That means the other 60%. That's a big number basis. Yeah. 
it is, but uh, I, again, I, I'm, I'm, um, I, I haven't heard of a lot of marketing success stories through TikTok yet. I'm not, you know, they could be there and I just maybe don't know. It know seems more like brands, right? So there are some, but they, they, be, they just start off as, you know, individuals who then start to sell different things as if they're a brand like. Oh yeah. yeah. And yeah. And I, and my, my feeling is, um, you know, there's, there's so many different choices with social media and I would rather do one really well than five of them not so well mm-hmm. and and you'll st- you'll still be able to reach your your target audience mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so chris is it tiktok twitter or linkedin for you um twitter for me with uh financial stuff is it really uh, feeds yeah. yeah those feeds are uh excellent and of course because you can you know choose the uh feeds you follow no, I meant which one are you? Which one do you think you'll start to market on someday? Oh gosh, what would I put for outbound? I think I'd probably, it would probably be the same. Yeah, Twitter. I don't know. We've we've um, had a Facebook page. We've done a few things there, but uh, yeah. What about you, Rick? What do you well, see? For my, for my, um, you know, I transitioned from having an agency to more kind of building my personal brand, and and I've had more success through LinkedIn and YouTube. And obviously I say YouTube because um, of my video background, I'm able to make a lot of YouTube videos and mm-hmm. um, you know, marketing videos. So those two channels have worked well for me. Mm-hmm. Facebook, not so much. Hey, yeah, that's a great book. Where'd you get that? <laughs> video persuasion. I'm gonna have to update it. There's already things that are out of date in there. <laughs> That's interesting. It's it's LinkedIn. Um, you why why not Twitter? I mean, I, I know you, I I totally make sense. Just choose one or two and and be mm-hmm. great and dominate in one place. But why not Twitter for you? Um, I'll just be honest with you. I'm just uh, don't I haven't um, marketed very much through through Twitter. I'm not saying it's not a good platform. It's just one that that I don't uh, have a lot of familiarity with. Mm-hmm. <coughs> I do. We do want to mention. I think um, Neil, you you met a friend of mine, Jason Boyce, who's a really good, you know, Amazon seller. Um, I sure he did. And I um, finished a book called "The Amazon Jungle: um, The Truth About Amazon and Selling on the World's Most Perilous E-Commerce Platform." And <laughs> that's being published by uh, a publisher out of New York called Morgan James, and it'll be out October fifteenth. Can we get any pre-release copies to share with any of the audience? Yes, yes, I will make sure I do that. So e- e- email Chris, Chris Idell or I in the first week. Give us yeah. your best sentence well, and soon, we will send you a we copy. Some, we're, we're getting some advanced copies probably in the next 30 days um, to, to use for PR, so I'll make sure I'll send you guys some. I love okay, it. Right? I love the title. The most perilous e-commerce platform. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it is, well, we, we start out the back cover. Amazon is not your friend. I mean, if you're a consumer, I, I think yeah. they are. If you're, a, if you're a seller on Amazon, they're, they're cutthroat. And they'll, you know, the minute you're successful, they'll knock you off and with their well, own brand. And so we go through all the dirty tricks that they do. And what's interesting is really I actually... A survival, yeah, a survival guide for, for third-party Amazon sellers. 
Mm-hmm. I'd prefer to buy an Amazon now. So when I find, like, I found my router cheaper through Linksys. It's a Linksys router. Um, but I bought it on Amazon for $10 more because I was like, Amazon's going to care more about me than Linksys. I'm a longtime customer and, of Amazon. Yeah, Linksys doesn't care. They do. And, and so the book was written from the point of view for the consumer, Amazon's awesome. But if you're a third party seller on Amazon, they're, they don't, you know, they don't treat you so nicely. So that was coming There's over 5 million third party sellers. So we wrote it from their perspective. You're going to sell this book on Amazon, of course. Of course. <laughs> well, uh, well, Amazon- and, other, and other places. And other places. You, but- you know, if you Google um, uh, books about Amazon on Amazon, there's, there's, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of them. Well, and so will, will Amazon be the biggest outlet, funny enough, for, for your book, probably? Yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> for, That's for, great. For any book, just about. So. <laughs> it's a great irony. It, it is. <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the balance just has uh, continued to shift, right, from, from the vendors to the, to the middleman. It wasn't always this way, but we had so many of the vendors who were in the olden days on the Walmart platforms crying oh, out absolutely. that yeah. they were squeezed and squeezed and their margins were squeezed. And now yeah. we have with the data capabilities and the online platforms, it can even just knock you off if you're not mindful. Is, or- is this the equivalent of Robinhood as a competitor to you, Chris? Uh, Robinhood. Uh, it's such a different thing, right? Similar profile to TikTok, that 40% of users <laughs> right. are, 14, are younger. So it isn't, isn't direct. But I do think it's fascinating to see them shaking up the financial services industry in a strange way. Mm-hmm. Um, gamifying. Yeah, the gamifying of the trading. So strange. Yeah, really, to grab the gold coin every time you make a trade and get a dopamine hit. It's a, I don't know. I've always thought investing, you should be calm and collected and definitely. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, um, but it's fascinating, you know, the um, purchase of fractional shares. Now we went to decimalization and got rid of commissions or brought them down. Now they're gone. But then you have, you know, behind the scenes, um, these uh, uh, investors are paying for, or you know, not getting the best pricing. There's payment for order flow, so there is, you know, in the plumbing of that system, a fee certainly for trades, and it's pretty high in some instances. But anyway, it has made this process of investing uh, a lot more seamless. There's no friction, easy to open an account and start trading almost immediately. Yeah. And the funny part, I see, I see um, television ads for them still using like yeah. style marketing. If you watch uh, CNN or Fox or whatever, some of the cable stations, they always have advertisements for, for those types of companies. No, I think I see it on ESPN, the website, right? So I don't oh, yeah. subscribe to normal TV anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I see it like yeah, it, every other place. Well, it attracted a lot of online gambling too. It was very much... Um, kind of built in that model, in that mode, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, Just recently, it's sort of fascinating. Robinhood used to publish all the trades. Um, you know, they'd aggregate their trade data. Mm-hmm. Robinhood trades would push this data out, and firms would uh, also pay a lot of money for that uh, trading data. 
mm-hmm. um, because they could then, you know, now all bets are off. They could front run these clients. Yeah. If you saw that the, you know, the um, average Robinhood trader, their biggest position is Tesla. Tesla. <laughs> it's yeah. gotta be. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Tesla, mm-hmm. Netflix, you know, the names, um, but even some, some very strange things like jets, the ETF of uh, airline industry stocks, the, uh, Hertz, the bankrupt uh, <laughs> car leasing company. Yeah. Many of those things got uh, currency on uh, Robin on Robinhood, uh, where they wouldn't have otherwise been even tradable. <laughs> Chesapeake, yeah. the bankrupt natural gas firm. So, wow. um, but you know, paying for those for that order flow uh, and then getting that data, a lot of firms like <clears throat> Citadel and others <laughs> have been able to place bets in advance of the avalanche of Robinhood traders. Is that kind of what's happening on Amazon as well? I, I guess, you know, Amazon now does Amazon batteries, which I, that seems to be the only battery I have in my house. So I don't buy Duracell anymore. I buy Amazon. Batteries. Yeah. Um, and you know, they're, they're going to be called to the table here pretty soon by um, Congress or whatever. Um, they actually were during um, Bezos testimony where you know they they study the data the analytics and say hmm batteries is a good category we should be in batteries and then they place their listing so it's the first one you see when you look up batteries so that's kind of an unfair um uh monopoly and i think that um they're going to get called to task for that here pretty soon maybe i'll be buying smart it's smart business but it's it's definitely unfair yeah yeah and I see that too, you know, as we were talking about with the trading, that the, the data has allowed some an unfair advantage and that's going mm-hmm. to probably, uh, it has to be addressed. I mean, yeah. in my world, if we were to front run clients or buy a position and then start to promote Isn't that what it, high frequency trading is though? Get as close as you can to the servers, front running? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's been, uh, yeah, we've all, <laughs> the, the financial services industry has been in violation of their own rule for a long yeah. time. <laughs> yeah, they're always there. Everyone's always looking for an edge, you know, how right. can I, how can I get an edge against the competition? So, right. Right. this so, is great. Yeah. So Neil, how's your business is going? Good, good. We're happy. We, um, we're moving forward about That's to awesome. make a, uh, investment in an autism diagnostic business. We're pretty excited about that. Oh, really? Yeah. That's awesome. They're able to diagnose autism in 18 months and tell with sensitivity how, how high on the spectrum somebody is. And it's just a simple blood test. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, getting a chance to work on stuff like that is pretty fun, right? Because Yeah, it's fun because it's, 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 it's a product that helps so many people or can help so many people. I have a, a client, uh, I think I'd mentioned to you before, Max Apple, he was the founder of OxyClean. And um, he's getting older now and he's doing a lot of philanthropy and uh, two, two things he's interested in. He has a, a, a autism uh, nonprofit in Denver called Firefly that he, he works with autistic children. And then he's also starting another nonprofit uh, to help solve the problem of homelessness on a, on a more national scale, devote, devote. You tell me about that. Wait, did did you tell him I want to have him on the podcast? Oh, I will do that uh, tomorrow. I'm speaking with him tomorrow. I'd love to have him. Honest with you. I forgot about it. He would be a fun, fun guest to be on the podcast. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He'd be a good, good time. Chris, is there any more questions we should be asking Rick before we go? 
Oh, there's probably millions of them, but Rick's. <laughs> you want to come with one more before we end it? What's a phone book, Rick? <laughs> yeah, Rick. <laughs> the thing, it's the thing you sit on when you want to be a little taller. <laughs> that's, that's funny. But you know, it, it, it's so funny, but you know, because I started off my marketing using newspaper ads. And uh, <laughs> who, who reads a newspaper nowadays? And, yeah, and so you, it, yeah uh, you've spanned many millennia in marketing, right? Yeah, it, 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 it is. It's, and I've studied, you know, past past marketing to, to see what worked back then that, that we would be applicable today. But uh, I just want to say I really um, had fun doing the interview and I appreciate um, you guys having me on and would love to come back on maybe when my, when the Amazon books out. And we would can love to have you. Like, let me just tell you, you just let us know and we'll make it work. We'd love to have you anytime. Maybe yeah. We should try yeah. doing a double interview with Jason and I. It's, it's, oh, uh, that would be wonderful. Fun. Jason's really quite fun. Yeah, yeah. It'll be a good dynamic between all of us. Mm -hmm. That's um, you know, I, I, I saw this presentation. Sorry, there's one more kind of thought I had that sure. is worthy just based on what you said. I saw this presentation on like the origins of creativity. Um, and I, I found it really fascinating. It was by actually the guy who started the healthcare practice at McKinsey. Um, mm -hmm. Really sharp guy. Um, and Chris, I've mentioned him to you before because he's the guy who uh, looks at all of the uh, craziness going on in the Chinese market. Mm -hmm. So you might remember the reference. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I wonder, like, you know, advertising in the Egyptian time is the example. <laughs> you know, how, how far back do you go, at, like, looking at historical advertising to kind of learn from what was, like, a big hit? Are you going back to the 20s or, you know, the late 1800s? I mean, you probably have. I'm just yeah, trying I spend, to get a I sense of that. You know, my expertise is, is a lot in direct response um, advertising. And so the people that were doing this initially, uh, you know, the Montgomery Ward catalog, the Sears catalog, uh, direct mail, um, you know, people have been using um, direct mail copywriting, you know, since the 20s, maybe, maybe even a little sooner. And there's actually one of the, one of the best books, you have to really be an advertising nerd to, to enjoy it is called Breakthrough Advertising. And it was written, um, I believe, probably in the 40s. Uh, but it, it's, it's got everything you ever wanted to know about how to write a successful uh, mail piece, direct mail piece, but it translates perfectly to email. And email marketing is a big area, uh, one big successful area that companies are using very effectively right now and that that book has been out of print and it's like if you go to amazon and look for breakthrough advertising you can buy a copy for like six hundred dollars they're just they're so so rare but it's a it's an amazing book but to answer your question um you know reading about people that were doing direct mail advertising in the 20s and and radio advertising in the 30s and 40s and then early tv advertising so just if you can just take a nugget from any of it that that seemed to work and and update it and modernize it that's i i do that so mm -hmm. very cool yeah yeah it's great chris well, thank the, you. the origin of uh, the 220 story is um you, i think i talked to you about this once i was trying to figure out where 220 came from or where the 20 percent upside came from it was from people transferring cargo ships and like transferring cargo in the 1600s the yeah. owner of the ship got 
you know, 20% of the upside if you could keep the inventory from going one place to the other. Um, so j just to let you know, you should maybe try and go back to the, the ships to figure out. To the coffee houses. Rick, it was really a pleasure. Thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> hey, thank you for having me on and um, hope to see you guys soon. Yeah, yeah when your new book comes too. out, we look forward to it. Yeah, right. it's great to talk to you again, Rick. Thank you. Right. Thanks, Chris. Bye-bye. That guy's something special, huh? Oh, he's beautiful. What a guy.